The scripture reading for this afternoon is taken from the Gospel of Luke. Luke is the third book in the New Testament. And we'll be focusing especially, while we'll be reading verses 1 to 21, we'll be focusing especially on that last verse verse 21, in connection with the Lord's Day that we are going to be reading today, Lord's Day 11. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them in heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Here comes the verse that we'll focus on. And at the end of eight days, When he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So far, the word of God. In response to the word of God, let's now sing this passage as it's put to music in hymn 21, the verses 1 to 6. Today, as we're working our way through the Heidelberg Catechism, we've come to Lord's Day 11, 
If you may remember the last time I was here, we had covered Lord's Day 10, looking at the providence of God, and now we've come to Lord's Day 11. And you'll be able to find that on page 526 of your book of praise. Why is the Son of God called Jesus, that is, Savior? Because He saves us from all our sins. And salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else. Do those who seek their salvation or well-being in saints, in themselves or anywhere else, also believe in the only Savior, Jesus? No. Though they boast of Him in words, they in fact deny the only Savior, Jesus, for one of two things must be true. Either Jesus is not a complete Savior, or those who by true faith accept this Savior must find in Him all that is necessary for their salvation. So far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as you come to this Lord's Day in the Heidelberg Catechism, you might imagine that we have been driving in a car. The car that you have in this picture is the answer to this question. What is your only comfort in life and in death? These were the opening words of our Heidelberg Catechism, and this is essentially what the Heidelberg Catechism is all about. That my only comfort in life and death is that I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus Christ, body and soul. Christ is the heart and soul of our faith, and a Christian would be nothing without Christ. So it's exactly appropriate that that would be at the center of what we confess, that that would be the entryway into what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism, isn't it? This is the vehicle that carries us through life. The trip began in darkness. And as we're working our way through this Christmas season, and we've just gone past the longest day of the year, you can well imagine the opening words of the Gospel of John that all of humanity at this point in time lived in darkness. It drove along the bumpy and dark road of our depravity. And basically, the Catechism drew attention to why we need Jesus Christ so desperately. Humanity fell with Adam and Eve And all of us continue to live in that place of sin that they freely went to. And yet, despite that, despite the darkness that we find here, we have a gracious Father. And this was the first great revelation that we found. God is eternal. Yes, our catechism, our confessions teach. He is all-powerful. He created heaven and earth and is pure, holy, and righteous. And all of humanity ought to tremble at the very thought of Him. 
And yet, this awesome, holy, powerful God is for the sake of Christ His Son, not someone to be frightened of. Why not? Because we, brothers and sisters, are traveling on this journey in the vehicle of Christ. Christ who is our only comfort in life and death. Anyone else you see ought to rightly be terrified as coming into the presence of this powerful God because as we read in the letter to the Hebrews, He is an all-consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. But there is no fear for those who are found in Jesus Christ. Our God may be a consuming fire, but where others would be consumed as they come before Him, in this vehicle, He has made us fireproof, you might say. And in Christ, we not only have the blessing of knowing who is in control, which is what we found in Lord's Day 10, the providence of God. We not only have the blessing of knowing who is in control, for those who are continuing to travel in that vehicle of the comfort of Christ, we are able to know that He doesn't just keep from destroying us, but He acts out of love for us. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to His purpose. Romans 8, verse 28. And so we are able to be patient in adversity, in hard times. And we are able to be thankful in prosperity. Because if we look to Him in trust and in love, we know that He will turn all things for our good. And it's at this point that the authors of our catechism take a step back. They just stand in awe. How is it possible? How is it possible that we could have such a radical change from going into where we would rightly be trembling in fear in the presence of God who is a consuming fire to coming to a point in which we are not only certain that He won't destroy us, but we are brought to the knowledge that He is working all things for our good. How is it possible that this all-powerful God doesn't just destroy us, but He loves us? Because He is for the sake of Christ His Son, my God and my Father. For the sake of Christ His Son. That's the question that our Lord's Day today looks at. That's the question that all of our faith is centered around. Our catechism points our eyes to Scripture in answering this question, how is this possible with these words? Because He saves us from all our sins. And so we'll look at this under the theme, Jesus, Savior, committed to His people, And we'll see, first of all, the importance of that name that he was given. And second, the importance of that day of circumcision that is brought to us in Luke chapter 2, verse 21. So why was the coming of Jesus such great news for the shepherds? We began reading that in our passage, right? 
that these shepherds, they were filled with great joy. The shepherds were representatives of the people of God, chosen by Him to be witnesses of the birth of this new baby boy. And the joy that comes with witnessing this incredible birth all ties into that name that is repeated at the end of our reading. You see, it wasn't just that they were witnessing the birth of any child, but Luke emphasizes that their joy is grounded in something deeper. And because of that, Luke's gospel brings us to the end of this section of narrative with these words from verse, 23, uh, verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. You'll notice that this is actually the beginning of the next section. The section which speaks of the circumcision of Jesus Christ. But it's also a bridge that ties it over from the previous section. And that's why it's nice that it has been placed in, at least in this ESV, maybe yours as well, at the end of that previous section. It gives you a bit of an idea that the narrative is being tied together. You can imagine a big ravine between these two texts, between these two events, with verse 21 here being the bridge. But how can we know that it's a bridge that's tying these two passages together? You can know that it's a bridge through that little word, and. And at the end of eight days. In Greek, just like in English, it ties what is happening to what happened just before. Even though this verse is about circumcision and everything in the next passage is about what happens in the temple, it's drawing everything along with it. So why is that such a big deal? Why is this little bit of grammar important? Because this little verse, through this bridge, the Holy Spirit shows us the reason for the joy of the shepherds. God was teaching His people through these witnesses of the birth of Christ that their reason for joy, as they are reading this passage, they are reminded that their reason for joy ought not to be just because there is a Messiah who in the minds of many Jews was going to be a political deliverer from the oppression of the Romans. No, no. This child's importance is tied into what his name actually means. And the name of this child was Jesus. So, what does it actually mean that God chose His Son's name to be Jesus? Jesus is Greek variant of the Hebrew name Joshua. Joshua is a name that means Yahweh saves. So, God is teaching us that He is the one who saves. In Matthew 1, verse 21, the angel Gabriel comes to Joseph with a message from God saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that is which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from all their sins. Now, that's not to say that a general sense of deliverance was not unnatural 
for the Hebrews as they were reading this, for the, for the people who knew Jewish history as they were reading this. God specifically speaks to Joseph in this first chapter of Matthew. And he specifically calls him Joseph, son of David. So God is tying in a promise of deliverance that is much older than this simple declaration that we find in Matthew 1. He's tying in a promise that had already been made to King David, the ruler of the nation, that someone from his line would come and would be a deliverer. And by getting Joseph to be the one who names the child, God was recognizing Joseph's legal headship in the family. By doing this, God legally places Jesus in the royal line of King David. And he makes Jesus the legal fulfillment of the promise that he would save his people. As he had promised the King David so many years before, this child would be a deliverer who sprung up from his line. But there's more to it that the original choosing of the name in Matthew focuses on as well. And that's the part that's of key importance that we're looking at today. In chapter 1, verse 21, the angel Gabriel says, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So as we see the name Jesus coming back in our passage here today, we need to remember that this name carries with it a lot of weight. The angel Gabriel is saying, you shall call this baby boy's name Yahweh saves, for this boy will save his people from their sins. Now, if God himself puts such emphasis on the choosing of the name Jesus and its significance for his people, we ought to do the same, shouldn't we? And that's why our Lord's Day today speaks so emphatically about it. It might be something that we think, well, well, this is old news. I've, I've grown up listening to this. I've grown up hearing this in the church time and time again. This is old news for me. It might be old news, but it's also good news. We speak so emphatically about this because He saves us from our sins. But it's not just the choosing of that name that's of importance to us today. Today we also look at the actual naming of of the child. You'll notice at that point in time, he wasn't named that. The name was just chosen. He wasn't named until our passage today. And this comes into further focus on his circumcision. This is our second point. So why is it of such importance that his name needs to be brought up again at the time of his circumcision. Didn't they already take care of his name before? Well, you have to remember that this book is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's not accidental that his name is brought up again. Our focal text of this passage says, when the eight days were completed for when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel when he was conceived in the womb. Now, this was completely in line with Old Testament ceremonial law. 
Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day as a sign that he belonged to the people of God. He was a member of the covenant. You can just imagine it in terms of a sheep farmer. When a a lamb is born, the lamb belongs to the farmer. But the farmer might put a tag on the ear of that lamb or put some other mark on the ear of that lamb to show that that lamb belongs to him. The tag is an outward symbol of the farmer's ownership of the lamb. Circumcision was the outward sign of God's claim on that child. But there was more than just the fact that God was claiming this child as his own. In Jewish society, there was something more to the circumcision of a child than just marking him out as a member of God's people. It also marked that child as a member of Jewish society. The day of circumcision was the day that Jesus was officially given his name. This practice was normal. It was normal among the Jews and it had existed for many centuries. You'll notice that this had already happened with the birth of John the Baptist earlier in the Gospel of Luke, if you were to look back at those chapters. The whole crowd has come together to hear the naming of this child. And the reason for that is the whole crowd has come together to celebrate the circumcision of this child. Circumcision was the religious rite that admitted Jewish boys into the membership of the Jewish community. And Jesus was a Jew. So on the day that he was circumcised, he was given his name. Now there's a reason why there's so much importance that's placed on this. And it's not just because it it mirrors John the Baptist who came before him. Some people have, have noticed that. They're like, well, this is just the same pattern that happened earlier with John the Baptist. And that's why it's carrying out to today with Jesus. But there's so much more to it than just that. You see, circumcision marked Jesus as a member of the covenant community. And that's a much bigger deal than it sounds like at the front end of it. Marking Jesus out as a member of the covenant community meant that he belonged to God's people. It showed his commitment to being human. His willingness to be completely subjected to the laws of God's people. This is part of what the Apostle Paul later describes in the second chapter of his letter to the Philippians as this. He became obedient. Becoming obedient to the law of God and willingly taking on himself the bonds which tied God's people in relationship with him. He knew this would happen if he was born into a Jewish family. And yet he did it anyway. Willingly taking on himself the bonds which tied God's people in relationship with him. This was the first legal act of Christ's submitting himself as the Savior of the people of God before the throne of his Father. The circumcision was the first time 
The blood of Christ was shed. And in this way, the beginning of the process of the redemption of man began. So in short, the naming of Jesus at His circumcision shows His full commitment to the work of our salvation as Savior. That's why His name is important. Especially as it's tied into His circumcision. And it shows us this in three ways. First, His circumcision shows His commitment to full humanity. Second, it shows his commitment to being joined to his people in covenant together. And in the third place, it shows his commitment to his redeeming work as our Savior. His commitment to full humanity, his commitment to being joined to the people in covenant, and his commitment to the redeeming work, to the cross. Brothers and sisters, this event described here today showed that Jesus himself was committed to everything that his name promised him to be. And from here it was the first step in a journey that would take him to the cross. So let's take comfort in this promise put forward in our passage today, this verse today, beloved, that Jesus was and is fully committed to being the Savior of all those who put their trust in Him. That this wasn't just a one-time event, but a lifelong thing, this commitment. It was a lifelong thing for both Him and for us. So let's respond in thankfulness for this commitment of Christ. And by the power of His Spirit, don't take this lightly, but commit your way to Him. Because as the letter to the Hebrews goes on to say in verses 22 to 25 of that 12th chapter, You have not come to the mountain that can be touched and that burned with fire into blackness and darkness and tempest, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. See then that you do not refuse him who speaks. See then that you do not refuse him who speaks. Through Jesus the only Savior, you are brought from fear and from darkness in this vehicle into safety and light in the very presence of God. Hold fast to this only Savior, Jesus, beloved. Don't look elsewhere for deliverance. Don't fix your eyes on any other salvation. They won't save you. Nothing else will save us from destruction. Nothing else will grant us the delight and favor of our God. The salvation through Jesus Christ alone will suffice. 
And so having heard of his commitment to his people and resting and trusting in that commitment to his people, commit your way to him. Turn to him and hold fast to him just as he already holds fast in commitment to those who believe. Amen. In response to the proclamation of the word, let's now sing together from hymn 23, the verses 1 and 2. Amen. Mm-hmm.